everyone, and welcome to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, and along with my co-host, Chris Kay, we discuss and dissect our favorite music, heavy metal. So sit back, relax, pop open a cold one, and let the debate begin. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Debating Metal. I'm Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal. Each week, my co-host Chris Kay and I discuss and dissect the songs, albums, and bands in heavy metal and hard rock that we are passionate about. And this week, it's the golden episode, episode 25. And who better to discuss but none other than the band that arguably started heavy metal, Black Sabbath, Ozzy vs. Ronnie. This week, I chose Ozzy, and the Dean is going with Ronnie. We're going to battle it out to see which era of the band was better. Along with our ongoing debate, each week we offer up some rusty metal and freshly forged picks that you should definitely be listening to. We also pick the best of the best with our big four, where we pick our favorite songs, albums, etc. This week we were picking our big four Black Sabbath songs. Last week we picked our big four Anthrax songs. So check out that list, go to our Instagram, and comment about your big four Anthrax songs. But before we begin, let's do a quick recap on last week's episode, Anthrax, Joey vs. John. We offered up our opinions on the good and bad of both eras and debated why I like Joey's era and Chris likes John's. So if you missed last week's episode or any of the other ones, download and listen to us on any of the major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, Stitcher, etc. And don't forget to rate us or leave a review. We also want to read your opinions on these and any of our topics. So send us an email at debatingmetal at gmail.com, or you can DM us on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. If you like our opinions or just want to rip us a new one, leave us a message, and let's talk about it. So now it's time for Rusty Metal from the Dean of Metal himself, Kenneth Dean. Okay, this week's Rusty Metal is going to be from the band Lizzie Borden and their debut EP, Give Him the Axe. That was released in 1984 on Metal Blade Records, and it was their debut release. They're an American band out of L.A. They were formed in 1983. The EP features the title track, which is a really cool song, and it also contains a killer version of Rainbow's Long Live Rock and Roll. They were part of that early L.A. metal scene, but then along with bands like uh, Wasp and Motley Crue, they were kind of like the forebearers of the shock rock scene that started coming out of there. And when you name your band Lizzie Borden, you're not going to really be known as a wholesome band like Nelson, you know? <laughs> so, just as a tidbit, and you could tell, uh, the band was named after the notorious Lizzie Borden, who was accused, tried, and acquitted of the murders of her father and stepmother. So, there's a little bit of uh, notoriety there with that name. And they're still around today. They released, uh, I believe, a, a new album last year or in 2018. I can't remember which one it was. These past two years have just flown by. This album, the first one that they put out, was pretty much a good sign of things to come for them. It was a pretty, pretty good record. Give Them the Axe is a great song. Their version of Long Live Rock and Roll is, is great. And then their first album was released the next year. They had an, a, a semi-illustrious career, let's put it that way. But they're still around today, so that's pretty cool. Okay. Well, following that up uh, is Freshly Forged. And this week, I so what I've been trying to do for the last 
couple weeks is introduce something that's pretty much brand new, something that's just come out. And going through all these 10, 11, 12, somewhere around their uh, amount of releases each week, I'm, li- I'm giving them all a chance listening to them. And it's given me a chance to kind of find some new stuff that I've, you know, never listened to before. I've always been kind of open to new material, but at the same time, you know, you like what you like and you kind of get into this rut of listening to the same music over and over and over again. And so it's nice to kind of find some of these, these new bands or at least new releases from bands that are opening me up to listening to the, listening to them. So for my pick this week, I picked a band called Judicator, which I had never heard of before. They're an American band that uh, started around 2012. They're on their fifth album, and this one is called uh, Let There Be Nothing. Let There it's, Be Nothing, huh? Yeah, it's it's very reminiscent to me of bands like Blind Guardian, very similar style of power metal. And if you're familiar with those bands at all, you kind of know what you're getting into with this, but everything's very well played. The, the musicianship is very skillful and they even got I don't know if it was on this album but they've gotten Hansi Kirsch from Blind Guardian to appear on some of their music before too so obviously they have uh, a connection to these these much more well established bands and enough that they've appeared on their albums so it's it's pretty impressive of, of the, the releases this week that was my favorite so Definitely check that band out. Cool, Judicator. That's that sounds pretty interesting. I it's, I like the name. Uh, Let there be nothing is pretty uh, interesting as well. The title, <laughs> <laughs> but it, I, so, I think that's just the the slogan for twenty twenty. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> now, along those lines with with them, you said they're an American band, right? That's correct. That's cool because there are not a lot of American power metal bands. No, there's not. I mean, I would say most of them definitely are from Europe or South America. Right. Like, I picked Manowar's Battle Hymns last week as as the Rusty Metal, and that's like the first power metal album. But they've made their career in Europe. They basically never play in states. And so that's a a pretty interesting thing because power metal is not big here in the states. So I'm going to bank on the fact that Judicator is probably going to make their name somewhere out in Europe. Especially if they got Blind Guardian behind them. Yeah, I mean, I, it's kind of one of those things. The music scene's so strange right now, but at least there is still a, a strong following in Europe. So a lot of bands will go out there and they just kind of stay there. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, it's just it's just what's happened. Well, cool. That sounds pretty cool. I'm going to check that out uh, the next time I'm driving to work in the morning, which is probably Monday. <laughs> anyway, I made a brief reference on something on the intro when I stated arguably that Black Sabbath was the beginning of heavy metal and you had something to say about that well I mean there's there's a debate and it's pretty well known that Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath are the forebears of metal not that they played metal but they were the the influence that started the metal scene and to me Led Zeppelin definitely has some elements I mean they were rock and they they had some tone that was similar to metal, etc. But to me, Black Sabbath has always been the true fathers of, of metal. It's just that's they had the themes, they had the tone, they had the the 
just that image, that darkness about them that was carried over into metal. And, and obviously, you know, all types of music are going to take influences from other styles, etc. But if you want to pinpoint that one band that really, really defines what metal was to become, I always think it's Black Sabbath. I agree completely. I mean, I, I love Led Zeppelin. Kiss is a big fan of Led Zeppelin. There's lots of, ban- of bands that are out there today that have been influenced by Led Zeppelin. That's not to say that Led Zeppelin was a metal band. You know, if you listen to Led Zeppelin 3, side 2 is all acoustic. So, you know, it, it's not about, you know, how hard they played for, for them to influence a, a genre. But to the contrary, though, Black Sabbath, they played dissonant chords and... Most famously on their first album, they played the Devil's Tritone, which is one of those things that you know nobody wants anybody to play because it sounds so evil. But I think that's the whole point. They were trying to sound evil, and they did a really good job of that. <laughs> and they played hard. They didn't necessarily play fast. Fast was not their thing, and, and fast and speed metal was something that came later. But they played heavy. They played hard, even though there were songs on their albums that were not necessarily hard. You know, they played songs like Changes, and they played songs like Fluff, which were, were that were not hard whatsoever. But you know, then they could turn around and play Symptom of the Universe, or they could play War Pigs. Uh, but all those things tied in thematically. When you listen to those those albums, there's a there's a tone to not not a musical tone, but there's a tone to the the message throughout the albums, and they had this darkness that was associated with them that would carry over into the metal scene and that was the same thing that happened later in other versions of of the same thing like when new genres would pop up like black metal and and death metal etc those took elements from their their forebearers and while the bands that came before them weren't technically of that genre you could tell that's where that Genesis kind of came from, right? And even then, like like Black Sabbath, they not I don't want to say I don't want to put it like they believed their own hype. They became a metal band. As, yeah, as, I mean they released some albums that are metal albums. Right, exactly. So along those lines, this week's topic is Ozzy versus Ronnie, uh, and you have chosen Ozzy. I am going to debate why Ronnie, yeah, well I think Ronnie is the better era. So. Why don't you go ahead and start it off and talk about Ozzy and, and what it is that you want to mention? Well, I mean, all I mean, all you have to really say is that the the first six albums were just near perfect albums. They really were. They're they're so well done. Even even the the sixth album, which was uh, Sabotage. Sabotage kind of came about when there was a lot of internal problems, not with the band members at that point, but with their management. And I think that anger kind of carried over to the album itself. And so you you see there's always kind of like a – there's something behind each album. If you go through the history, there's, there's something related at the time that has a lot of emotion behind it, and the band was, was at their best – in those six albums that as far as like creatively ozzy had a very unique sound of unique image he he was one of those guys that drew the crowd in with his antics but also was a good front man vocally especially when he was younger i mean now he's he's still 
a pretty good singer. He's there's a lot of effects added in, etc. But you know, he's a lot older. He's got plenty of excuse to to do that. <laughs> yeah. But but as a young frontman, he elevated that that type of music and was was the guy that carried the image of metal not metal but but of hard rock into that darker direction there was just kind of like this perfect storm of of the image the quality of music just everything that made a band a classic band for that time period that those six albums and that yes they released two more before ronnie joined they're definitely very hit or miss I do not like te- technical ec- ecstasy at all. I do not like that album, um, and I know you don't either. No, it's not. It, there's nothing redeemable to me about that album whatsoever. Yeah, it's it's not good. I mean, there's things I love. The title track, "Never Say Die," I I think it's a great song. There's a, there's a couple other songs that I do like on that album. Well, I, um, I like "Never Say Die" a little bit, uh, definitely a lot more than "Technical Ecstasy." Oh yeah, for sure. That it's a much better album, but. To me, I mean, when you think of Black Sabbath, when you say the name Black Sabbath, uh, you think of those those original four guys: Ozzy, Bill Ward, Geezer Butler, and Tony Iommi. And that's I know that's a debatable statement because Tony Iommi carried that band for many years past Ozzy's tenure. But to me, as much as I love Ronnie, and I definitely actually prefer him as a singer. I just when I think of Black Sabbath, I think of those Aussie years and those first six albums. I agree with you on on the thing about Ozzy being, you know, the, like at the time the ultimate showman. He was, and that's what he is. He's a showman. He is the he, the entertainer of the band. He's not a, a, a lyricist. Uh, he's not a musician in that regards. Uh, so he doesn't write music. He doesn't really play anything, but he does write the melodies for which the lyrics are, are, are put to. So I give him that much credit because that, that is a difficult job to be able to, to do that, make something where it's memorable that someone can basically hum in their head. You know, when, when someone's singing, you know, you, that vocal melody, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's a, it's an amazing thing that they were able to knock out six albums in, in five years. And even more so, it was more of uh, five albums in four years or actually a little bit less than four years. And then they took, you know, almost two years in between to, to make uh, Sabotage. Those albums, like you said, they're classic. I'm, there's no denying that. I mean, that is where metal was born. I mean, Paranoid, that album is incredible. I mean, front to back. To me, Paranoid is better than Black Sabbath, the, the first album. But Well, I, I agree with you there. I mean, but Black Sabbath was... Early, early. I mean, it was rough and it was it was conceptual, and yeah, I think Paranoid took it in a better direction. But I honestly, to a degree, I feel like it's a up upward momentum too. I don't think Paranoid is the pinnacle of that time period. I think Master of Reality to me was better. Black Sabbath Volume Four, not necessarily better, but I think on par. At Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, and Sabotage are fantastic albums. They're all they they are fantastic albums, and I, like I said, I'm not I'm not taking away from any of those first bunch of albums. To me, mm-hmm. I, the the reason why Paranoid to me hits home is because I think it's there's there's almost like not even a, a moment to take a breath with how good that album is from front to back, 
Whereas mm-hmm. some of the other albums, even though they're good and the quality of songs are great, there are some there are some lulls in there that where you can actually take a breather. But that's not to say it's a bad album at all. But you know, when getting at with that though, with all that said, that was their first five years. First, yeah, I mean, first five six years, mm-hmm. and then you know they between money, drugs, and alcohol and all that stuff, they went down the tubes really fast. Destructive antics, yeah. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) Setting Bill Ward on fire. (laughs) That's one of them. I mean, technical ecstasy, you coming out of sabotage and you put that thing out and it it was so all over the place and so... What is that? I mean, the songs were not good. It wasn't heavy. It was recorded like crap. And the crazy thing is it it, it did well in the United States. It went gold. You know, but I think that was more on on name name recognition than anything yeah, else. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about that with other bands where, just to and I'm not going to pick on the album, but just to to reference it, like Saint Anger, I remember I went out and bought day one without having listened to it because it was Metallica, right? And I'm pl- sure it's the same thing with with Technical Ecstasy. People got another Black Sabbath album. It was the seventh one. Why why wouldn't they like? All six so far had been amazing. Why wouldn't they think number seven would be the same? Exactly. And, and you know, there's nothing wrong with that. You're going to have your, your stalwart fans that are going to stick behind you, you know, 100% all the time. But that album's, I mean, for, for the common description that's out nowadays, that album was trash. But I, I must say, for what it's worth, they redeemed themselves with Never Say Die, even though they knew they weren't going to continue on as the as the band that they were but they didn't really spend you know they 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 talk about how they they spent a lot of money on never say die because they were all over the place and stuff like that and it was one of these things where let's try and make it work and it wasn't working and they they all knew by the time this album came out it was going to be done and yeah i think they still went on tour and it was done yeah, I mean, I think we talked about that that in one of our very, very early episodes where we kind of went over the the history of Black Sabbath a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that one of those things was that this band had already broken up once before. And they had already hired a new singer who recorded some of the material on Never Say Die. That was Dave Walker. And then when they brought Ozzy back, when he he decided he wanted to be part of the band again they trashed all the lyrics geezer rewrote all the lyrics and created this album but there was a ton of problems ozzy wasn't showing up etc and it just it just wasn't going to work but like i said to their credit there are much better songs much better riffs on that album than there was technical ecstasy but the mm-hmm. downside to that album is they literally just went into a studio, put whatever was in that studio on as a mic and as a, as a cable and a wire and whatever, and they just recorded it. It sounds like a demo. In, mm-hmm. my, in my opinion, it sounds real thin, barely any bass. There's barely any tone to the guitars. I mean, considering that Tony Iommi is known as his riff master and his tone master and all this stuff, his tone on that album was horrible real thin I mean I liken it to how thin James's tone was on Death Magnetic that was real thin too so you know it's it's just one of those things it's like man why but 
they move on from there. They fire Ozzy. And they basically resuscitated their career in 1980 with the release of Heaven and Hell and the addition of Ronnie James Dio. That was like a coup. Even though management didn't think it was a coup, management just didn't, they didn't want a short guy fronting Black Sabbath. But mm-hmm. the short guy has a voice that's, that's one of the most powerful in the, in the genre. And that album, front to back, first drop of the needle to the last click, it is an amazing, awesome album. Oh, oh my God! It's it really truly is. When I got into Black Sabbath, I had I had heard Ozzy first, and I remember I want to say NIB was probably one of the first songs I had ever heard from Black Sabbath. So I knew Ozzy. I didn't I didn't know like I knew of Ronnie James Dio because I knew Holy Diver. I had seen the video. I liked Holy Diver a lot. I did not know at that point that they had crossed over. So I remember going to the record store and I picked up this album. I was going through, you know, looking for Black Sabbath. I already owned several of the Aussie albums at that point and I was looking for more. So I picked up that album and I see on the back it says Ronnie James Dio and I just about shit my pants (laughs) (laughs) because I did not realize at that point that he had been in the band and I, I went and I think that that album was stuck in my car for a few months just listening to it over and over and over and over again. No, that, that album is awesome. I mean, it start, you know, when, as soon as you hit Neon Nights, it, it's, it, it, you can see or you, you can hear, you can hear a revitalized band. They, they were playing with so much different conviction. The production was so much better. I mean, it was like, who, I mean, if you put, Never Say Die or Technical Ecstasy next to this when you go, these are two different bands. And that is a testament to, one, to Ronnie about how good he is and how he can elevate others around him. Geezer didn't have the same pressure of having to come up with all the lyrics anymore. Oh, yeah. He was you he know. was definitely happier, happier at that stage in his career, not having that additional responsibility. And then, you know, Tony was just basically free to write these killer riffs. And they did. I mean, they're. I mean, that album is awesome. And and one of my favorite all time Black Sabbath songs uh, is "Children of the Sea." I mean, just the the falsetto that Ronnie sings with at the beginning, and just the the power that when that when the whole band comes in is just brutal. And mm-hmm. but in a good way because it's such a, 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 a for lack of a better term, it's a, such a sweet song. Yeah, um, I love that song. One thing I like about that album, too, is that you get to the... Like, I don't think there's a bad track on the album. To me, the weakest track is Lonely is the Word, and that's the last one. And the likelihood that you're going to get to it is the lowest. So, I think that's a brilliant way of putting the album together. Well, like me, you know you know, you know know how I have my, my first three songs, right? Well, mm-hmm. I had to get to four because Heaven and Hell is such a badass song. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I had to get to five because Wishing Well is a damn good song too. <laughs> Wishing Well is amazing, and Die Young, you know, Die so, Young is fantastic. So I'm all, I'm already six songs in. I'm like, man, I can't put this down. Yeah, great, great album. Now, to the contrary, which is weird, Mob Rules is a very good album. But oddly enough, for me, I don't think I heard the complete Mob Rules until 
last year. And, and that's that's saying something because I'm going to take your metal card. <laughs> well, and here's the thing: I, I never bought <laughs> I never bought the record. I uh, didn't have the CD until much later. Um, I didn't. I had a hard time finding this CD back back when I was buying CDs. I had a hard time finding this one, uh, but I eventually did. I think I ended up getting a UK edition of it, mm-hmm. and uh, that was that was all I could ever find. So. I mean, when I put in the CD, I would put on "Turn Up the Night," and I was like, "Oh, this is a pretty cool song." And then it's a good intro. It's it, yeah. I think it's it's in the same vein as as uh, Neon Nights. It, it is in the same vein, but I don't think it's as strong as Neon. Now, I agree. I I really after that I would skip all the way to Mob Rules. Uh, I didn't play you know E fifty one fifty because it was just a bunch of keyboards. But I went straight into Mob Rules, and I had heard Mob Rules from from hearing. The, the soundtrack to heavy metal and so mob rules was just kill i mean i, I that was one which of is those, a different version of the song right but just listening to this one on this album i mean that was one of those i just hit repeat and kept playing over and over again because that intro riff you know is so killer um so i didn't really get around to listening to sign of the southern cross uh i didn't get around to listening to some of the other songs in the album and so my my fandom for ronnie was basically based on Heaven and Hell, and the Mob Rules song, you know that was it. And but I still loved them. I mean, he changed that band, and I think they—that's pretty much when he joined the band—is when they really adopted the fact that they were a heavy metal band. Mm-hmm. Um, heavy metal itself was was basically truly spawned by this point. You know, the new wave of British heavy metal had already been out for a couple of years. The American metal scene was taking off, so metal was what it was at that time. It was it was just past the you know its infancy stage. All of the seventies, you know, hard rock bands kept getting harder and harder and harder, and it culminated with the late seventies, early eighties. Hard rock and heavy metal just transformed into what it became in the eighties. They adopted so the, that fully. Oh. So there's a funny note about this too about um, Mob Rules is that. Um, when I was a kid, there was a video game I played called Spider-Man and Venom: Maximum Carnage, uh-huh. and f- for the longest time, there was a, there's a, a portion of the game that there's a song that plays that is a direct cover of the Mob Rules, and I knew that well before I actually knew the song, th- the Mob Rules. <laughs> But it's the same song, and I remember listening to it like, well, this sounds so familiar, I wonder where I heard it before. And then years later, I, I put two and two together that they were the same song. Oh, yeah. And, and like you were telling me, you know, computer games or video games love to steal music. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so. it's rampant. So, to me, when Ronnie joined, Black Sabbath officially adopted the fact that they were heavy metal. Unfortunately, a couple years later... They're trying to put out a live album called Live Evil, and you know it, it, it became a political thing. You know they needed an album to come out. They wanted to, you know put out this live album, but it was it was race to see who could put out a live album first. Black Sabbath or Ozzy Osbourne's solo album. You know then you know trying to mix the album and all that. So the, the, it, it it suffered, and it was rushed. And well, and and Ronnie and and Tony were at odds. One would go in at the beginning of the day 
when nobody was around and mix things how they wanted it mixed and the other would come in later and and redo it and it just became a battle between them and that's kind of what broke up the band and what's funny is if you if you talk, if you ask them now they say that wasn't the case you know obviously brownie can't talk about it but he had mentioned it before and he said that he wasn't changing anything he would go in there and do something and say you know talk to the engineer how would this sound and the engineer would be like, yeah that's great and then we'd leave it that way or, mm-hmm. or whatever it was but both of them at one point or another said that that's not what they were doing but somehow it ended up that way so they both kind of blamed the engineer <laughs> but and that and that could possibly be the truth in that regards, it but, could, but the, it the, could the, the the legend is that it was them yeah. at, at at odds, and I'm sure there's a lot of truth to that legend. Because well, well, Tony has a big personality, and <laughs> and so does Ronnie. And it, it when when there's big personalities that are you know conflicting, it's sometimes going to happen. It's just it just is. Of course. Now, so so Ronnie leaves Black Sabbath. And it leaves a hole. So now they're not going back to Ozzy because Ozzy's already way deep into his successful solo career. And they go out drinking oh, Black Sabbath. Tony goes out drinking one night with a good friend of his named Ian Gillen. And after that night, Ian agreed to join the band, didn't tell his management. And the next day he found out he was in Black Sabbath. <laughs> so, Or the management found out it was Black Sabbath. And they told him, Ian, the next time you make a decision, can you please let us know ahead of time? So he's like, "Oh, I am. Okay, well, very well. Let's go. Let's get on with it." They made Born Again. Um, so it would be seven, six albums before Ronnie James Dio would come back and join Black Sabbath again. And so in 1992, he comes back and they record Dehumanizer. And I I, I didn't think of this until right this moment, but Dehumanizer. And we, I listened to it yesterday, and you and I talked about it. Has a very raw, demoish kind of sound, and I'm like thinking to myself now, what's with Black Sabbath and putting out these trash-sounding albums? You know, when they, when you know that they can put out a good album, Technical Ecstasy, Never Say Die, Dehumanizer, they all have that same sound. They just go in there, they bang stuff out without really tweaking the knobs to get a good sound. I don't know what I don't know what the deal is. Maybe that's just what they want to do, you know. Maybe they have a little bit of black metal in them that they want to sound like crap. <laughs> well, this I mean, this album has a, a very different tone than anything they had been releasing before. I mean, it's dark and it's it's like the name Dehumanizer fits it very well. I mean, it's about machines taking over, it, not not like a a Terminator kind of th- way, but basically people losing their their humanity into machinery much like society is now with the internet and the the dependency on cell phones etc it's i mean this was this was predicting the future essentially yeah it was and you know you know you have these other things like you know there was a lot going on in the early 90s coming out of the 80s i mean 80s was these you know for for what it was worth, it was kind of a happy time to some mm-hmm. degree. But by the end of the eighties, it was you know there was a lot of darkness, and the music reflected that. And eventually, obviously, grunge going into the nineties was basically saying, you know what, it's not as happy as you think it is. You know, look at yeah. us. You know, and it, so they were all this depressing in some cases. I mean, some of it was okay. But others of it, some of it was depressing, 
you know, and then you have bands who are essentially paying tribute to Black Sabbath, a band like, you know, the Melvins and, and Soundgarden. They're playing those down-tune, really muddy-sounding chords and, and, and guitars and all that, and that's their tribute to Black Sabbath. But I think in, in many ways they missed the point because that's not what Black Sabbath was or is or whatever you want to call them. Um, but they, that was their style that they chose to say, you know, we're going to be like Black Sabbath in some cases. But that's not really, I never felt that that's what Black Sabbath was about. Just because they, Black Sabbath played down-tuned or, or they played, you know, these these dissonant chords, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to, they didn't sound depressing, even though we're talking about the fact that Dehumanizer was kind of that. But the rest of it wasn't always like that. And so Dehumanizer comes out and it's, it is what it is as far as it's part of the 90s. It's, it's, it's a reflection of what had come out of the 80s and into the 90s. And I guess Dio was still probably pissed off that his band was no longer as successful as it was. So he had a lot to say. <laughs> and, you know, and Tony, they had good riffs. I mean, I, I read the review about it. It was one of the heaviest albums that Black Sabbath has made. But there was a lot going on there. You know. Well, I mean, it, it is a social commentary album. I mean, and that's that was something that was going on at that time. I mean, Death was releasing social commentary at the same time. A lot of other bands were doing the same, and it was it was something that was happening where you know people were just not satisfied with the direction that society was going, which is a very relatable story to be told. And I mean, the, TV Crimes is a really cool song. You know, lyrically about televangelists, etc. Mm-hmm. You know, people that are misleading people. Um, Computer God, what a what a topic for today. Yeah, you know, exactly. Uh, Computer God is about a computer being worshipped as a god. I mean, that's that's on on point for today. And that's funny because um, that came out in ninety two. And, and, and computers really at that point were not that prevalent in the UN in, in, in the homes of, of people around the world. I mean, it wasn't until, you know, 95, 96, where, where things started to roll up with everybody starting to get one. It was starting. I mean, it, it, it was starting. Was. I, most of my friends had had a computer or or a uh, video game console or you know something like that. Yeah, the video game consoles time. were were definitely had already taken off, but full blown computers. I mean, I mean, DOS was still DOS. You know, Windows ninety five wouldn't come out uh, until ninety five. Obviously, you know, so we're at that point. We're at Windows three point one or something like that, or just it's about ready to yep. come out. So it. Computers weren't definitely weren't what they are now, but it was no, still. No, but, but go st- back in time throughout throughout history, and 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 I mean over the last forty years, mm-hmm. and and look at news stories about computers and the way that people react. I remember not too long ago seeing one about how we should limit kids' time on the internet to you know maybe an hour a day or something like that. And this was this was only like. 10 15 years ago i remember that and and now it's the internet is everywhere i mean it's in every facet of our lives kids are walking around with ipads yeah you can't you can't limit their their internet time because essentially everything they do they're learning especially now what's going to happen now but before before what happened now before the pandemic kids were still learning stuff on computer there was so much more now 
that kids needed to be on the computers to learn stuff. So yeah, yeah that whole one hour day thing went out the window a few years ago when when everything became a computer: phones, laptops, portable iPads, and phone, you know, iPods and all that stuff. Gotcha. That went out the I window. Mean, yeah. Well, so, that, I mean, that's that's still a relatively new concept because when I was in school, computers were very limited. It wasn't until really of the time I was about to graduate from high school when computers were really being in, implemented into the classrooms. So f- just from my generation to now, computers have taken over. Now, I, I'm, I'm laughing because I said, man, if you think you had limited access to a computer, what about me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I For remember sure. in high school, uh, there was this teacher. I mean, they were literally – it was – uh, I guess it was DOS back then, but we had, uh, it was, I don't even know what we, you could say in 1986, what the computer had, but there was, we had a computer, we had a classroom and this guy tried to teach us, you know, how to use uh, a computer and what, what we were dealing with. And he goes in front of you, you have a keyboard and a monitor. And I'm like, okay, a keyboard and a monitor, and he kept going over that. You know, that's a keyboard, that's your monitor, and this is what you do. You type on this, and I'm like, do I look like an idiot? I mean, <laughs> you know, but it, I mean, and the monitor was, you know, you remember those big beasts that they used to have on the desk? Cause just imagine how much bigger this thing was in 1986, <laughs> you know, yep. uh, and 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 had a separate keyboard, you know, that was connected and all that with the, with the wire. You know, obviously everything's now is wireless. It, it was just so foreign because you know mm-hmm. two years later I'm going to college and I'm taking computer courses and they didn't they didn't teach you computers that in that way they expected you to know something you know you were in college at this point it wasn't like super basic one-on-one but I was basically taking a computer class that went along with my architecture program that I was in anyway so like I was saying just imagine you saying computers to you were 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 limited my limit my limitations were a lot worse but getting back to black sabbath so dehumanizer comes out and by the end of the year ozzy's going on a retirement tour he invites black sabbath to play and open for him on the the last shows of his no more tours tour and Ronnie was the singer, and he basically flat out looked at them and said, "Are you crazy? I am not going to open for Ozzy Osbourne." And he turned it down immediately. And so Tony had already agreed to do it because Ozzy called Tony and said, "Hey, can will you do this?" And they said, "Yeah," but Ronnie balked at it, so they had to find a singer. Famously, I- they, they get a singer named Rob Halford. <laughs> And I, I think Ron, Ronnie, from his perspective, was completely in the right to say no. Oh, I think so, too. Because from his eyes, one, it's devaluing Black Sabbath to be the opening band for Ozzy. And at the same time, it's also, you know, him kind of saying, you know, I'm I'm lesser in a way. I mean, it's not really that way, but yes, I, I think that's, that's the way it could be construed. And so for his own pride for better or lack of better term it, i think it was necessary for him to bow out in that way 
Um, I, I agree with you completely. I mean, that, that it, it's almost a slap in the face, and it was kind of like Ozzy saying, ha-ha, I still have the upper hand on you. Yeah. You know? Well, whereas from, from Tony's perspective, it's patching things up with a longtime friend, and it's a different, it's a different uh, experience for him and, and the other guys. Correct. So, yeah, I, I get it. I mean, you're absolutely absolutely right when you say, you know, they, they're longtime friends. They go back to, to the early 60s as friends and, and comrades and all that stuff and, and bandmates. So it had a lot to do with that. It had a lot to do, you know, why why have them open or, you know, why not make it a celebration? Well, guess what? At that time, Ozzy was at the peak of his career. No More Tears was on the charts. He had two big hit songs, No More Tears and um, Mom, I'm Coming Home. And Black Sabbath was coming off of Dehumanizer, and, had, and the biggest song on Dehumanizer was um, uh, "Time Machine." Time Machine off of Wayne's World, and that and that really didn't do as well as you know it could have. So, you know, basically at that point, Black Sabbath was an opening band, but they were based on on, re- on name recognition. They could still draw a crowd. So Ozzy was bigger than Black Sabbath at that point. That was his peak, for sure. Yeah. So, you know. It, that's not why he asked them, but that's the reason why they were the opening act. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, oh, Ozzy's going to go first and put on Black Sabbath last and maybe sing a song with him. It was the opposite. And so Rob Halford, before he agreed to, op- to, to sing for Black Sabbath, he actually called Ronnie and asked for Ronnie's permission. And Ronnie gave it to him and said, you know, by all means... And so that tells you right then and there that it was a personal decision that Ronnie just was not going to bow to Ozzy. I mean, he even called Ozzy a clown. You know, that's his opinion. They they probably never got along professionally because they're, they're just two different kinds of people. I mean, Ron, Ronnie was a true musician. He could play an instrument. He, can, he had a great voice, and he could write music. Ozzy was an entertainer. He was a singer with a cool voice and a melody maker. Well, Ozzy did play keyboards on those first few albums. Okay. I mean, you said he could play an instrument. You mean, I'm just saying. Oh, okay. So he's he wasn't no Jeff Nichols. <laughs> 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 he was no Don Airy. <laughs> it's true. No. So yeah, I mean, you can, everyone tinkers, you know. So. Well, so did I mean, by my own, you know defense there so tony iomi and geezer butler also played keyboards on those first few albums so <laughs> but they were no jeff nichols uh, well yeah <laughs> you're right there's a reason why they have jeff nichols on the albums right mm-hmm. <laughs> uh kudos to jeff nichols wherever he's at right now <laughs> so you got this you, you ronnie leaving again now and it would not be for several years before Ozzy would come back to the fold of Black Sabbath and again would leave and continue his solo career. And just a few years ago, now this is now already 10, so we got to say 12 years ago, so 2008, let's say, 2007, somewhere around there, Ronnie James Dio rejoins Black Sabbath and they tour. And I then, believe it was late 2006. When was it? Th- oh, so it was even earlier than I thought. So yeah. he rejoins Black Sabbath, but basically as a, I guess you say to to, to deal with legalities, they decided to change their name uh, to Heaven and Hell. 
Uh, so the band that was the 1980 Heaven and Hell. Oh, no, actually, that wasn't the band. It was the Mob Rules Band. Um, Ronnie yeah, because Bill Ward wasn't part of it. Right. Ronnie James Dio, Geezer Butler, Tony Iommi, and Vinnie Appice. Those four guys became Heaven and Hell. They recorded a full-length studio album and released two live albums. The studio album is classic Ronnie James Dio Black Sabbath. Although I would say it probably doesn't have as much speed and oomph that Mob Rules or, or Heaven and Hell had, but it's definitely that heavy, down-tune, you know, Black Sabbath style of early Black Sabbath in that in that in that album. It was just you know, although Eating the Cannibals is a pretty quick song, it's pretty cool. But Bible Black is just a slow, brutal Black Sabbath plotting song which is it, it's a good song too you yeah know. i mean i i would put it up there with mob rules as as the the like the overall quality of the album oh yeah i mean to me that's better than dehumanizer although dehumanizer had its highlights but because the the, the production stinks on it it, it kind of detracts from the album so the, essentially there's four albums for ronnie james dio and in, in black sabbath if you want to put it that way i think those four albums stand the test of time as being a really creative period for, for, for those individuals involved. I like the fact that Ronnie literally revitalized. I mean, he, he brought the band back from the dead and, and with Heaven and Hell. And, and they had a, a, a successful two, two and a half years, maybe almost three, in that period of time right at the beginning of the 80s that basically allowed Black Sabbath to breathe and live again. It's unfortunate that it didn't last that long, but they got back together again and didn't last that long, got back together again, and they, they, they put whatever differences they had in the past together, and they realized how much they were friends when they put Heaven and Hell together. And they, I think to this day, Tony's you know still sad about it because I think that was Tony's best release because he was making new music. He wasn't making new music with, with Ozzy, and they did that 13 album, and it wasn't that great. Yeah, I... You know? I I mean, I'm not a fan of 13. I I really don't like it. I remember putting it in. I was very excited about it. And I just, I really couldn't find anything about it that I, that stuck out to me or that I really, truly enjoyed. It just kind of plotted on for I mean, the entire album. They, their lead single was God is Dead. And, and I didn't think that was really a, that great of a song to do that. I mean, I think Live Forever would have been a better choice and they would have probably gotten some more action into the album but ultimately the album suffers from the fact that the songs are not that great and that album came out after Ronnie passed away after they had basically put to bed the whole Heaven and Hell thing because of Ronnie passing away but I think what what made Heaven and Hell exciting was that they that Tony finally got a chance to write music again with his with his pal Ronnie and make that Black Sabbath style music that he was so accustomed to and that was what was cool about it 13 comes out a few years later and it just didn't have the same what's the word it, it didn't have the same energy behind it you know Bill Ward was not a part of it Vinnie Apice wasn't a part of it now was uh, Brad Wilk the drummer for Rage Against the Machine and so it was different so you, you've got the three guys and then you got this other drummer that's just basically a session drummer at that point it's, it wasn't Black Sabbath you know it wasn't there wasn't that band feel to it so. No, it it just it didn't do anything for me. It's too bad, but 
it's at the same time it's fine it's like you know they're late late in their career they're putting out music i'm fine with that i don't have any it's not like it tarnished their career because it wasn't so bad that it just like at one point the last album they had released was forbidden and forbidden is a terrible album that's a tarnish on the career (laughs) it's a tarnish on the career because i mean if whether you like the tony martin tony martin era or not there there are some highlights like a headless cross is a pretty good album I I actually really enjoy that one, and and you've got years with with Cozy Powell on drums, and he he fit what was going on in that time period pretty well. So there are highlights from that area of the band. I even like a couple tracks off of Cross Purposes, but Forbidden comes out, and th- there's nothing good about it, and it has rap on it, and at that point, rap metal was just not cool in the scene. I mean, it just wasn't something that people wanted to hear and especially out of black sabbath well, yeah, not from black sabbath i mean rage against the machine was out you know and and stuck mojo was out but you didn't want to yeah, hear but it those from, were guys that defined the the generation right of, but you of didn't that. want to hear or, it from black yeah. sabbath you know and tony black martin sabbath, yeah right tony martin's not a rapper you know and, and so to bring in a, well he a, didn't he didn't right. rap on it they brought in ice tea yes yeah, so and that's, that that's not like that's not black sabbath no, and that's the problem. Is it has nothing to do with there being rap metal. It's just Black Sabbath being or having rap on their their album. Just it just doesn't make sense like to most people when they when they're listening to the to Black Sabbath. It was just too different from and especially like stylistically with Tony Martin's style of singing. It just, to me it just it just sounded like you know why not just bring in a country fiddle player to play on the middle of one of the songs like it just didn't make sense get the hell out of here get them all out <laughs> this is black sabbath man yeah okay so essentially i i really really enjoyed the ronnie years for black sabbath and that's not to say i didn't enjoy the ozzy years you know i remember as a kid in high school we went to a, you know me and some friends went to a park we had a little boom box and i had uh, Black Sabbath's greatest hits cassette and import, and it was all the early Black Sabbath. We listened to the crap out of it. NIB, Fairy Wear Boots, War Pigs, Paranoid, you know, all that. And it wasn't until a few years later that Heaven and Hell was already out, but Heaven and Hell really, you know, I adopted it because I, I got into it, you know, probably four years after it came out, five years. And it, it was so different, but yet you know both eras are so good. It's hard to it's hard to fight one over the other, but they are so distinctively different. So it 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 does put you in that you know which one do you like better kind of range. I like I like Ronnie, and and I I like Ronnie too. I mean, and I know, he's, you're a big he's fan definitely of the more metal era of that band. There's just something that's just magic about those first six albums. And the cohesiveness, the inventiveness of the band, like, think about the way that Sweet Leaves starts the album. Think about the just the, the techniques that they kind of threw into the, the sound and how unique all of the music was. Uh, that's, that's something, like, there was more experimentation during that time period in the early era, and that maybe that had to do with a lot with the drugs that they were doing, but... <laughs> but Regardless, that's what happened, and that there it's it's a 
catalog and time of just musical ex- experimentation and quality writing and a cohesiveness of the band that just defined what metal would be and i don't think there's there's any as much as i love ronnie as the guy who followed up in the same way that i like sammy as the guy who followed up on van halen like ronnie could do or sing all those songs that that ozzy sang etc there is something about that original lineup that is never going to be duplicated i think i even said this earlier today so uh, regarding something else but uh often imitated never duplicated that's that's the original black sabbath i mean it, it i'm not saying that what ronnie did when he came on board was duplicating because they took took a different direction in sound which i'm glad that they did but in my mind there will never be when when i say black sabbath that f- original four guys those 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 original four guys that line up that's that's black sabbath it, it i agree i agree with you there's never going to be another black sabbath there's never going to be another ozzy tony geezer and bill mm-hmm. that chemistry works all by itself what what's amazing when you think about these things right is think about the first time that black sabbath puts out an album you hear it for the first time whether you're young old or not you know anytime you hear these things for the first time obviously you know in many cases you being younger you already heard a bunch of different things metal had already existed but this thing that became that black sabbath became heavy metal can never be born again mm-hmm. to the contrary of their of their album title they <laughs> pun intended exactly they it, it only happens once a band like kiss only happens once a band like metallica only happens once a band like slayer they they only happen for the first time once okay a band like raging Against the machine those those types of things you know when you when you live through them is amazing when you discover them just as amazing just maybe a step below and it's to to just to find out wow this is where it all began this is why this exists today that's amazing and so yes i you can never take away what those four guys started in 1968 in birmingham england and that's you know we are here today talking on this podcast because of those four guys you know it's mm-hmm. like that that's just incredible to think about that's that's how cool black sabbath is you know everybody in heavy metal today owes them a debt of gratitude well i think that's a, a good place to end it off i think that's very well put i mean i i completely agree so I think at this point, it's time to start the big four. And I believe I started it off last week. So I think it's your turn. All right. Well, my big four Black Sabbath songs. I'm going to go with these four. Okay. Here we go. Ready? 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 <laughs> okay. Number four, Mob Rules. Love the riff. Love the whole song. It's, it's, it, it's just a cool song. 
you know, if you want to include the E5150 intro as it, you know, as it builds up to it and then it, it crashes in with that killer riff, awesome. Do that if you want. I like it. Mob rules, number four. Number three, Children of the Sea. I told you earlier in, in the podcast, I love this song. Love the bass line. Love Ronnie singing. I just, I love everything about that song. Number two, Symptom of the Universe. Man, the the version of the, of that song that I like the most is actually Ozzy's version that opens up "Speak of the Devil." I love that version of the song, but it's such a killer song, and that's my number two song. And then my number one, another reason why it's number one, and another another song off of "Speak of the Devil." This is pretty much where I got, you know, I, I heard about all these old Sabbath songs <laughs> before <laughs> I got into Sabbath. Um, the Wizard. I love that song. The harmonica intro, the drumming from the, from the original recording, Bill Ward's drumming is amazing. And then when I actually, the, the version I like a lot that's on Simta, uh, that's on Speak of the Devil, Tommy Aldridge's drumming is just out of control. I mean, it's it's awesome. I mean, I don't know what else to say. So those are my big four Black Sabbath songs. What do you got? I think it's a good list, and this is one of the first times where we don't have any crossover. Cool. Um, so number four, Heaven and Hell. When I picked up that album, it it rocked my world. And Ronnie is just such an amazing singer. And, you know, not knowing that the band had taken such a different direction it was very exciting to get that revival like you mentioned earlier and heaven and hell was the song that kind of encapsulated it It was it was kind of a slow building song but it has an awesome guitar solo it's it's i mean it's it's just it kicks ass i don't don't know better way to say it (laughs) um number three sabbath bloody sabbath that was off of the first black sabbath album that i actually owned i had heard other songs first but the first one that I was able to find in the store and pick up, and another reason for it was that it, I think it was like six dollars, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I could afford it. You know, being a, a you know broke high school kid, um, I listened to that album a lot. And it's not a super long one, but every song is is a is a banger. I mean, it's it's fantastic. I know Metallica did a cover of Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. Um, it's so worth it. No, Anthrax did. Oh, that's right. I mean, they did a a, a, um, a cover off of the album Sabbath, oh, right, Bloody yeah. Sabbath. I'm sorry. They did a medley of a couple of the songs. Mm-hmm. And you're correct. Anthrax did a cover of the actual song. Right. Um, but I think it's kind of an overlooked album. And there's no reason for that because it's awesome. Number two is Die Young off of Heaven and Hell. That song is towards the end of the album. It's track six. And when I heard it, you know, when you're that deep into an album, you kind of expect like they have their real, real good hits earlier on, which gets to that one. And it's just as badass as the stuff that came before it. it and, and it has, a, I think it has a special meaning for me, like at that time in my life listening to it. It just, it's, it's a, it's a heavy hitter. And for it to be so deep into the album and every song before it was still a great song, it's. I think that's even more poignant. 
And number one is my favorite Black Sabbath song, Children of the Grave. I love the drums on that song. I love everything about that song. I love the alternate version of the song. Uh, just play. I, I can hear 50 different versions and I'd be happy. That's uh, an awesome song. With, with a catalog that vast... I mean, it, it's no wonder that you and I didn't pick, you know, overlap, which is weird because other big catalogs, we have had some overlap. So that tells you how strong those other band songs are. But these, they, they've got so many good songs. It's incredible. I mean, but think think about their catalog, too. I mean, we didn't even pick some of the most popular Black Sabbath songs. I mean, off the first album, you've got N.I.B., Black Sabbath, the actual song, mm-hmm. Evil Woman. The the second album, you've got uh, Paranoid, you've got War Pigs, Fairies Wear Iron boots. Man. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Fairies Wear Boots, Master of Reality, you've got uh, Sweet Leaf. I mean, yeah. there's it, it so just many keeps songs. going and going and going. So many great riffs. Yeah, the riff master, Tony Iommi. Snowblind, Supernaut. I mean, she's... It just keeps going, man. It does. All right. So that's it for Debating Metal this week. Be sure to tune in next week to episode 26 when we're going balls to the wall with Accept, Udo versus Mark Tornillo. We'll also be back again with more rusty metal and freshly forged recommendations. I'm Chris K, and on behalf of Kenneth Dean, remember, always turn it up to 11. See ya.